Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano. I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. And I have on the phone with me my co-host, Chris Sheridan, and he is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. How are you doing today, Chris? doing great. Thanks, Jason. Awesome. And we are going to look at the Beatitudes. That is chapter five of Matthew, uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount from uh, Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. And we're looking at it from a very particular point of view from Emmett Fox's The Sermon on the Mount. We're drawing from that information, which is a new thought classic. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, The Key to Success in Life. Excellent book. Highly recommend it. So we're going to be drawing from that from some of our own experiences today. And let's just go ahead and jump right into this. As I said, the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5 of Matthew. Um, the Beatitudes in particular are the first eight teachings, the blessed, uh, the blessed are, are this and that portion of it, one of the more famous sections of the Bible. And... Uh, a little bit of background, first of all, from Emmett Fox's point of view. Uh, one thing he points out in the beginning of the book is that the Bible is a textbook of metaphysics, a manual for growth of the soul. It sees all things in their relationship to the human soul. So that's his background, how he looks at the Bible, which is, I find, a very uh, helpful way of looking at the teachings in the Bible. It kind of helps us to get over some of the more challenging passages sometimes if we look at them spiritually or psychologically metaphysically, as it were, um, and it can help solve some of the problems between the literal interpretation uh, that people have so much uh, trouble with at times, and maybe, um, you know, more sort of theological explanation, so forth, or academic explanation. Uh, instead, we get beyond that, and we go to a spiritual ex uh, exploration of the work, that really helps us to change ourselves. And that really is, I think, the crux of all this, that the Bible is a textbook of metaphysics, a manual for growth of the soul. Um, so the second thing that he says that I think is very important, and uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show, didn't we, Chris? Uh, and that is the that it's the spiritual key that unlocks the mystery of the Bible teaching. Um, what do you understand he means by that spiritual key? How did you how did you process that? Well, he uses the spiritual key term as a universal solution. Uh, it's it's not just the key to this or some you have to get a different key to open that door. This is like a skeleton key or a master key. So that's, I think, the importance um, and kind of the universal application of this key. Uh, so the good news is it's there's only one key, and I guess maybe what can be a little more challenging is how to uncover, uh, discover, and then use this key to to turn the door. And basically, what he's saying is that uh, it's kind of what you just mentioned about a little literal interpretation or a spiritual interpretation of the word, seeing them symbolically and not just the letter of the law. And also, uh, which is very similar uh, and used in depth psychology, is that much of what goes on in the outer world is really a reflection or projection of what's going on inside ourselves. So this spiritual key is both to look at the material in a broader, more symbolic sense than just the letters of the words, and also to see these allegories as being relating to what's going on inside our own inner lives. It, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think you also made a great connection too between, uh, between cause, and, cause and effect. And he, he kind of points out many, many, many times during uh, in the book where he speaks of God as the, as the cause and the material world, of course, as the effect. And sometimes, I mean, that's easy to take that for granted. We think, well, yeah, well, God created the universe and and so on. And this is kind of a well-known fact. But, you know, similarly, he, he connects that to the idea of thought in man. And I think thought is, you know, affirmation, it's visualization, it's prayer, it's all these various ways of interacting in the inner world uh, to be able to affect our outer world. You know, he talks about how 
uh, as within, so without, you know, the thoughts that we think, the feelings that we hold, the beliefs that we have about ourselves and so on are what creates um, our experience of reality in our lives. And I think those, uh, those keys are, are some of the spiritual keys that he, that he speaks of when he uses the term spiritual key. And I, I really like that. The, the importance of studying um, the Beatitudes, he points out, are in fact that these, the, basically in these eight little principles, he, he says, you know, Jesus more or less outlines his entire philosophy in just these eight lines. And so to understand these, these eight lines in the way that they were supposed to be understood uh, really gives one a key to the whole teachings of Christianity that some sometimes today seem like they're they're being overlooked in, in a lot of ways because they get hung up on literal interpretations or or so on. And if I may throw in this, uh, Please, there's yeah. also have been 2,000 years of interpretation and embellishment. Many of the things that one would think would be... Um, a hard and fast rule in Christianity, uh, contemporary Christianity, as well as traditional disciplines, um, actually really isn't there in the Bible, uh, at least not in the yeah, New Testament. That's a great point. Yeah. So no, it's for sure. getting back to the core, core teachings uh, that. Well, he spoke about how, how Jesus was no teacher of theology, how he had no teachings of doctrine mm-hmm. and, and orthodoxy and so on in any of his teachings. That's true. When you look at the Bible, those. Those ideas that we hold that come from the church, you know, are extrapolations out of his teachings. I'm not saying they're they're not true, but they're not necessarily in Jesus's teachings. Yes. So and I think that that's an important point that he makes, that Jesus was not really a teacher of doctrine and dogma. He was a teacher of principle and a teacher of spiritual concepts and metaphysics. And I think that that being held in mind while we're reading the scripture makes it a lot more understandable and maybe useful for us in our own uh, journey of personal transformation when we look at it that way. You know, and, and the point is he points out that that miracles, for example, those things were done and they are real. They really happened. And they were examples for us to be able to follow because Jesus said in the things that I do that you, you can do and, and, and greater things. Um, and so he points those those facts out as being spiritual and, and physical realities, but, you know, they're demonstrative of the things that we are capable of ourselves uh, if we are in that sort of mindset and in that sort of oneness with God that, that Jesus was. So I think those are important things to look at before before we go into that. You know, the works that I do, you shall do and greater works. You know, Jesus said that himself. So. You know, and it's important things, speaking of miracles, you know, it's often, oftentimes we think, especially in the modern world today, um, we think that a miracle is something that's some sort of fantasy. Uh, but when we look to our own lives and we think about the prayers we've had and the things we've asked for and the affirmations we've made or the visualizations or the different ways we try to interact with God, and we think about appealing uh, to that higher, that higher authority you know, we can all think of examples in our own lives where, you know, we've had healings that seem miraculous. We've had, we've escaped from dangers that we, you know, might not otherwise have if we hadn't prayed and so on. So these, you know, these are real interactions, you know, they require a certain combination of faith and clarity and open-mindedness and, and so on. But these things really do happen. And that's why I want to, you know, emphasize that, uh, you know, through prayer, through visualization, through meditation, you can, you know, you can, you can connect with that higher part of yourself. You can connect with God and things, you know, things can happen. You know, it's a real thing. I mean, you, I'm sure you in your own life have had times where you prayed for things or, or asked for things or, or what have you, and you've seen miraculous things happen. Is that, is that true? I would definitely verify that. Uh, and I will add that, um, and this is something I'm trying to improve in my life. A lot of times I wait uh, until I've tried everything I could um, sure. and then, you know, give up in despair. And then in a moment of vulnerability, oh, then I'll pick up this tool of prayer. He calls it scientific prayer as, as a, yeah. a science and an art uh, that there are techniques you can learn. And then there's also that artistic part that's you playing the instrument <laughs> um, that yeah. only you can do. Uh, but it, 
waiting until you know I've hit bottom or something to uh, to call in a higher power. Um, you know, my goal now is to maybe maybe reach for that tool a little bit earlier, if not maybe right away. Yeah. Even though when I'm not in yeah, exactly. Well, why not ask for strength and power when things are good? Why you know I think we just always wait until things are so bad or. He talks about that in that section, and when and we'll get to that, and where blessed or blessed are they who, who mourn, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about about mm-hmm. that. Um, but that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And you know, you think about it, it's like, why am I not? I go to God in times of trouble, but why am I not spending more time communing with you know that that divinity uh, within and without? Um, you know when. Uh, in a, in a more positive and faithful way. And then I, I don't, I won't find myself in those, those times of trouble as often. Right. And certainly life's going to throw things at us, but how often do we create those troubles ourselves because of our lack of faith, because of our negative thoughts, because of our negative actions? Do you know what I mean? I and do. so, and a lot of times you know, we're, we're basing our negative feelings on what's visible, like how much money we have in the bank, how many sure, friends we have, sure. Um, our health in the current state or something like yeah. that. It's, you know, this prayer and then this faith, you know, is where what is unseen, at least in the present moment, um, can come in. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because we do get so hung up on the material world, on the effects, but then we forget. And that's the crux of this idea of this secret, secret key is that the cause is the thinking and the cause ultimately beyond our, our limited thinking is, is the divine mind is God, the cause of everything, you know? So if we can tap into that, that force, that divine will, you know, how much different could our, could our lives be, you know, because if we see things as, as, but we, but the problem is we see the material world, we bump up against it. We see the limitations quote unquote, and the challenges that we're, we're facing and all, but we don't necessarily see the solution. So you have to go to the cause. You've got to appeal what he says from a, from a, a lower to a higher from the, you know, you don't, you don't go to the effect and try to change the effect. You go to the cause and change the cause. And then the effect will be seen. It will be, you know, there'll be an outpouring or an expressing, right. you know, you remember when he was speaking about that, I think that's an excellent way to look at it. So, it, but it's, it comes from within, it comes from, the unseen world into the manifest visible, you know, physical and material. Yes. World. It would be like trying to change a, a, you know, food dish that had been prepared after it's been cooked. Um, if you want to change it, you wow, have to go back and, and change the recipe. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic. And analogy. then if you follow that yeah. recipe, it scientifically, you're going to get um, good results. Uh, if that indeed is a yeah. right recipe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, he, 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 there's a great quote right before we get into the Beatitudes. I'll leave, I'll leave us on this one. All day long, the thoughts that occupy your mind, your secret place, as Jesus calls it, uh, is molding your destiny for good, for good or evil. In fact, the truth is that the whole of our life's experience is but the outer expression of inner thought. Wow. The outer expression of inner thought. So that's Something to really hang on. You know, some people are familiar from, you know, with this concept from The Secret or from, from other new thought teachers, Reverend Michael Beckwith and some of the popular, you know, Holmes and, and so on, some of these popular new thought leaders. Um, but really, when you, you get at the heart of it, I mean, this Jesus' Jesus's teachings, you know, are the fundamental building blocks of all these new thought ideas. And, and you know, they're, they're in the Bible. I mean, people have gotten a lot of different ideas and, you know, certainly you can overemphasize some, some ideas and there are other interpretations of these beatitudes and other interpretations of, of scripture possible. Obviously there's many, many different ways to break these down. This is one way to break it down, but I think this is a very helpful way to look at scripture, the beatitudes in particular that can help us to change our lives. And really, isn't that what the scriptures are about? You know, they're, they're about helping us to make our lives better, to be more in tune with God, more in tune with our fellow man, more peaceful, um, happier, more joyful, et cetera. Right. So it's not about the academic study. And that's one of the challenges. I have a master's degree in theology. And one of my, you know, constant sort of issues while I was in, in my program, not specifically with my school, but just with academic study of, of religion and theology in general 
it leaves out the spiritual. It leaves out the transformational. A lot of times you're stuck in the historical and academic approaches to looking at these scriptures and caught up in, you know, the redactions and the different historical events and occurrences that corroborate, you know, archaeologically and so on. That's not what religion is about. It's about transformation and it's about connection to God. And so if we keep that in mind when we approach scriptures, whether it be the Bible, whether it be the Bhagavad Gita, whether it be, you know, the, the, the Quran or what have you, you know, we can really, we can really, I think, get to the bottom of these um, teachings in a more profound way by taking a spiritual transformational approach to looking at them. Would you agree with definitely, that? Definitely. Definitely. I do. Yeah. Right. It's kind of ironic. Right, you would so say that in an academic theological program they had removed the spirituality <laughs> I, that was lost on me uh at, which is probably even one extra layer removed um from well, from the source know, they, it's it's true and it's interesting because um you know there's a there's a sort of a bias in, in essence against those against those theological not theological against the sort of spiritual approaches to the material uh academically speaking you know they're trying to and i I understand they don't want to be you know what they would say when somebody would write a paper if it wasn't substantiated academically and historically with facts and and different scholarship they would call it a you know it's a confessional point of view and to be confessional was like the greatest sin in in an academic type paper you know, you, in evangelical schools, that's no problem. But in your general study of like mainstream sort of religious studies and, and theology schools, you know, the academic approach is, is, is the preferred approach. The confessional approach or the subjective or interpersonal approach is not to be, you know, not to be done. And it's interesting because really everything in the field of religion and spirituality is in the inner world. So to not be able to touch on that is, is you're missing a major portion of, of, of what you're trying to study. So anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's a side, a side note, but it, it does apply to what we're talking about. So let's jump into the Beatitudes. Great. Let us do that. And we'll go back and forth. Uh, if, if you want to open the book, we'll go back and forth reading them. I will read a section and you can read a section and then we'll kind of jump into the first one. So I'll start and then you can jump into the next one. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. This is Jesus, of course. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And that's from Matthew 5. All right, beautiful. Matthew 5, indeed. It's like Bible study. Um, All right. Exactly. So we're doing this. <laughs> but it's thing. a different kind of study. You know, was, and that's I, the whole point of what, uh, what we're doing. Here. And that's the whole point of it. Exactly. And I always, you know, I, I, I always kind of go back and forth between blessed and blessed. I always like blessed because it reminds me of King James. But then I end up saying blessed because it sounds more modern. Yeah. But I, I think I should have I should have went with blessed. I like that you were going with blessed. I, I think I fall into that because it just from a long yeah, time ago. I very, um, I had heard somebody refer to the Beatitudes as, oh, you mean the blessed bees? Like, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to. But like that's that. so accurate, you know? Yeah. 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 No, it's fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the first one, uh, we'll go briefly into each of these eight. And there are eight. And there are not, they're not, I mean, it sounds like there's nine because there's nine blesseds or blessed. But the last one is, is uh is put together the the blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake and blessed are you when you 
uh, when men shall revile you because it's a similar idea. And also, I think there is a specific, uh, a specific symbolic choice there that was made that number eight, if you, if you look at eight on its side, like your tattoo that's on your wrist, it is an infinity symbol. And I think it, it denotes that, you know, these, these, these sayings are principles and they're infinite and eternal. Whereas a nine might, if you had nine of them, it might denote that there was an end to them because nine does symbolize the ending, you know, there's nine months and then we're born into the physical world. Um, it's nine is the last digit, you know, before 10, which is a new set of, of, of numbers and so forth. But um, I think eight was specifically chosen, you know, the eightfold path of Buddhism. Yes. Um, and, and there's several other, uh, you know, tenants like well, that. music, that's the, octave. In other, there you go. Music, that's the octave and then, you know, the music of the spheres and all of that. So it all ties together uh, symbolically the, um, okay. So the first one, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think this is a very interesting one. A uh, very important one. He spends a lot of time speaking about this one. Um, poor in spirit is an interesting is an interesting phrase. You know, the key really he points out to to understanding these is to break down these words and understand them in their spiritual sense. Um, and for example, in this one, he speaks about how poor in spirit is is a different type of language. It is kind of a King James uh, way of putting things. Some people say humble instead mm -hmm. of poor spirit. He uses this specifically in a way we talked about this earlier, very specifically, and he defines it. And he says to be poor in spirit means to have emptied yourself of all desire to exercise personal self-will and to have renounced all preconceived opinions in the wholehearted search for God. And I kind of look at that like letting go and letting God, getting your own ego and your sort of your own will out of the way and allowing God to do things uh, as God will. In, in your life instead of trying to define or outline how you want things to happen. Um, so I think that that's an important part of this. So then when you look at it, you would say something like, you know, blessed are the humble or blessed are those who have emptied themselves of their own self will. Um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So then, okay, we look at it. What is the kingdom of heaven? You know, he speaks of the kingdom of heaven as the presence of God. He speaks of that cause you know, the cause to the effect, um, you know, that sort of personal relationship or, or divine divinity within that you're connecting to as the kingdom of God. It's something that's here and now. It's not something that's far off or, or elsewhere. Um, well, the kingdom of God is within you. As, exactly. As stated. Exactly. And so I think that what he's saying here in effect is that, you know, to really, uh, to really get in touch with God, you've got to sort of get the ego out of the way. And sometimes that can be a challenge. You know, we've got to let go of all of our old preconceived notions. I'm reminded of that old Zen saying that in order to, you know, find enlightenment, you've got to empty the cup. When you come with a full cup to a teacher, there's nothing to put into the cup. There's nothing to learn. There's nothing to be had. So when we're full of ourselves and our learning and our academic knowledge and our possessions and all these different things that we think make us so great, humble ourselves and, and allow God to work through us to make things uh, even better in our lives. So I think that's an interesting, um, interesting saying. Do you have anything else to add on the, on that, on that section or should we jump right into the next one? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that's, that's spot on and you know, it could be intellectual pride. Um, you know, it could be just anything. And we, we want to hold on to uh, what we know and what our, uh, within our powers, uh, because we've developed these thoughts and ideas and opinions over the years, and they're like our children yeah. or something, we don't want to sacrifice them. But um, sure, but it, it doesn't mean that those things are bad either. It just means that we do have to set them aside if we're to, uh, you know, learn a new way. Um, if it's a technique in doing something like musical uh, ability or martial arts or something, if no, this is the way I've learned, and this is the way things are supposed to be. It, well, it squashes innovation for one thing, but in the spiritual sense, you, you're really putting, you're putting a closed door sign um, uh, on the door to your heart to allow anything greater to either come in or be released. Yeah, 
again, I'm, I don't know why I'm being reminded of Zen's statements, but there's this great one, and I, I paraphrase this and probably poorly, but if you cannot, if you do not know to let go of yellow leaves, how can you, uh, how can you know to let go of gold for jewels or something along those lines? So it's like you have to let go of the, the lesser for the greater um, in the end, and I think that's really what that's saying. Okay, so moving on. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Pretty straightforward when you think about it, but we're going to go obviously deeper into it and find a, a nugget of truth in it. Essentially, you know, on the surface, it looks like, okay, when I'm mourning and I'm sad, I will be comforted if I pray to God. And I think there is that, you know, there is that, that element to it. Uh, but he also points out that the will of God is that everyone should experience happiness and joyous success. Jesus says, I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So you think, well, if, 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 if that's the case, then there must be something more to this. So we're going to look a little bit deeper into it. You see, like, for example, um, we'll do the same thing we did before with the other one. We'll look at these, these words. Blessed are they that mourn. I think uh, him, he's pointing out here that oftentimes we, by our own actions and by our own thoughts, we are mourning for things we are sad we are depressed and so on um and sometimes that is the only way that we learn lessons sometimes that's the only way that like you talked about earlier sometimes that's the only way that we go back to god and even and try to find that connection again is through the the painful experiences and 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 that is one way to do it but he points out that there is another way and that way is to live in a, you know, a spiritually sort of understanding way. And you can, you know, by, by right thinking, right actions, right study, and so on, you can, you know, you can overcome those, those challenges before they even happen, in other words. So you change within, and then the, the, the external circumstances will change as well. Um, and again, he points out the divine power really is the source of man supply and all material agents but the channels, in other words, God is the, God is the cause and everything is the effect. Um, and sometimes these things that happen to us happen to, to continue to teach us that, to drive us back to our source. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the, that's the point that he's making in this. That is one way of learning. The other way of learning is to just go directly to the source. Did you, um, did you see anything else in there that I might have I missed? Well, that's pretty much it uh, as well that yeah. I got um, fairly clear and straightforward, like you said. Uh, but even if it's mourning for, say, like the life you wanted to live, say you're at midlife or something and, you know, mm -hmm. there's a, some of a dream in your heart or something. I think we all face this to some uh, some point or another, to some degree. Um, and that it, and mourning for that um, is a connection to that which you love. You don't really mourn the loss of something you didn't really care for. You know, if you get a yeah. removed or something, you're not really mourning that loss. You're pretty happy it's gone. No, not so much. Yeah, But exactly. even if you find something in your own heart that you're mourning for, um, that chance you didn't take when you were younger or that dream you once had, uh, by mourning, you're, you're telling yourself in the universe that, oh my gosh, this is something that is heartfelt. And then it gives you an opportunity through prayer and your own responsible action uh, to do something about it. It's yeah. a reminder, yeah. right? maybe like a calling from the heart saying, oh, no, this is important to me. So it, it, it can be point. used that way yeah. as well. Very good. Very good. All right. So the next one is blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This is, this is an interesting one. This is a tough one because it doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever because we look around us and we see and we think about the word meek and we think of someone that's kind of weak and ineffective. And we think, well, how will they inherit the earth? That doesn't make any sense. Strong leaders are the ones that take by force what they want and you know, the world is, is run by the, the strong and powerful and so on. And he's saying, well, the meek will inherit the earth. So you think to yourself and it goes into this point that either you know, Jesus is 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 in a fantasy world or he's lying or this is some sort of nonsense or it just, you know, it just doesn't apply. 
and and he he puts all those notions to rest and says no what the problem is we don't understand what he means by this and the, the i think the crux of the real uh challenging word in this specific specific um, uh beatitude is the word meek meek is a word that we don't understand and he uses it very specifically and it does shed a lot of a lot of light on this subject so i'm going to jump right into meek and what he means by meek and what he believes jesus means by meek is a combination of open-mindedness faith in god and the realization that the will of god for us is always something joyous and interesting and vital and much better than anything we could think of ourselves so again, it's kind of that idea of letting go and letting God. It's sort of getting out of the way, having faith, uh, allowing the realization of the will of God to work in our lives. That's what he means by meek. And that makes sense. And then when you break the word earth down, he looks at the word earth and he talks about it's not the earth itself specifically. In other words, like we're going to take over a, a, you know, a country or something. But it's earth in the sense of material manifestation the experience of our, our lives, uh, the things that, that come to pass in our day-to-day existence. And he, and he points out, again, a cause has to be expressed or manifested before we can know anything about it. And contrary-wise, every expression and manifestation has to have a cause. So he gets back to the point that all causation is mental. So what we think about, we become, as within, so without, you know, as we sow, so shall we reap, and and tons of other little platitudes that come into come to mind when we talk about this. And and again, he's making that point that the meek shall inherit the earth. In other words, those who come to it with a come to life with a with a an open heart, an open mind, faith in God, meekness. In other words, will inherit the earth. Will create what 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 conditions they want in their own lives. Will have a more joyful and, and connected and happy and prosperous life. Uh, anything to add to that? Uh, yes. I mean, if our inner world is in order, uh, our outer life will be much more favorable. Uh, and you're really underscoring that relation between the two. But the word that also I think is important is the word inherit. It's That's different than, like you were talking about strong people and leaders and despots and Caesars and uh, you know, strong leaders throughout history. They've not really inherited the earth. They've taken parts of the earth by force. Um, but this inheritance is a birthright. It is by virtue of you being you. Um, this is your inheritance that you are destined to receive uh, if you're meek in that sense of, you know, being open and, and faithful and, you know, believing that, you know, what is in store is, is there's greater and better things. Um, and then having your outer world uh, be more in, in harmony with that. It, it's a given. It's not, you know, inheritance is, is something you're guaranteed by birth, by just you being alive. This is what you're going to get if these conditions are met. If these conditions yeah. are met. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. All right, so moving right along um, to the next section. That is, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, righteousness, as he points out, is not just uh, following certain rules and regulations and dogmas and doctrines of the church, which is, I think, the way that this is often uh, interpreted uh, these days or in the past. But he speaks of righteousness as, as, as right, right thinking. It is right actions. It is right thought. It is doing the, the correct thing, the ethical thing. But it's, it's also more than that. It's more than right conduct. Um, it's, right, it's right thinking. It's right relationship to God. It's right understanding. And again, he says, as we study the Sermon on the Mount, we shall find every clause in it reiterating the great truth that outside things are but the expression expressed or pressed out or out picturing of our inner thoughts and beliefs that we have dominion over, excuse me, that we have dominion or power over our thoughts to think as we will. And thus indirectly we make or we make or mar our lives by the way in which we do think the way in which we do think. So, you know, he's again, reiterating that point of, of, of that correct thought, the correct belief, the correct 
action. I mean, that does translate to action eventually, but the inner thoughts and the inner beliefs are where, where it all starts. Those are the seeds. Those are the seeds that those are the righteousness and, uh, and hungering and thirsting is going after, you know, with your heart, going after with your mind. Um, really with a, with a, with a, a conviction. So I think that those, you know, that's, those are kind of two of the bigger, bigger things in this, in this section that can teach us something. Another one, again, you know, he talks about this, he goes through a lot. And this is why I encourage the reading of this, this book. It's such a great book. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the key to success, Emmett Fox is what we're talking about, obviously. Um, but he talks about salvation and he talks about, uh, um, you know, miracles occurring in your life. And he talks about how you should not be discouraged if the, 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 these things take some time. These things take some time. So righteousness is an, is an attitude of, of, of that, that requires cultivation. It does take time. Often habit can get in the way. You know, some of these are challenging, uh, challenging the way that, you know, the, our ability to, to um, create the things that we want because we've, we've had habits of, of uh, negative thoughts, experiences that have left marks in the unconscious and so on. Um, and he's talking though about how salvation is, is possible, you know, because Jesus does say, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, I make all things new. You know, people think, well, this is going to happen instantaneously then. And it can, you know, changes can happen instantaneously. They can happen overnight. It can happen miraculously in, in, in the you know, blink of an eye. But some of the things in our lives take time and we have to have patience. So I think that that's important to remember uh, as well. Um, and that's part of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you know, continually moving towards right thinking, right actions, right beliefs. Uh, anything else to add? Well, there's a Buddhist notion, too, of uh, right thought, speech and action. Yeah, uh, that you know, in masonry, there's the uh, the three ruffians that uh, killed the builder, uh, unbridled thought, uh, unchecked passions and emotions, and um, you know, un unclean actions. Uh, that those are the things. So those yeah, thoughts and feelings and beliefs and what goes through your heart and mind uh, can be your salvation if they are towards righteousness, uh, or they can be your damnation you know, this, this heaven and hell that we can experience on earth uh, may very much, in fact, be uh, largely due to what goes on inside us, not just how we handle the outside world, but how, how our, regardless of the outside world, how we're altering and changing and keeping in check our thoughts. And again, you were, you were talking about the righteousness being a little different than we might colloquially use it as being holier than thou or, you know, yeah. that's, you know, it's some unattainable um, thing, but it's, it's, it's a nest. It's a state of being like consciousness or happiness uh, or sadness, if, if that's your emotional state. So it's more of a state of being, um, which includes you know, your thoughts, speech, actions, um, feelings, emotions, all that going on. Uh, but so it's, it's attuning yourself to this attitude, this, you know, you're both receptive to you know, higher things and that you're actively, you know, hunger and thirst, you know, we, we need this to survive. Yeah. So the yeah, metaphor I think point. is pretty clear. This is, you're not just, well, yeah, righteousness might be okay. That might be fun to try. Oh, this is, I hunger and thirst for it. My, in a way that my life depends on it. It's certainly yeah, the quality exactly. of life. So, Exactly. Very good point. Few short words. There's quite a bit packed in there. And uh, again, not too complicated. If you kind of turn it with a simple key, uh, it may be new and it may be difficult to immediately apply successfully to your life. If like anything else is that, you know, maybe hasn't been done as much. Uh, yeah, but it's there and it's clear and it works to the degree that you actually do these things. Very good. Yeah. All right. So unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to jump ahead here and, and keep moving forward quickly. I'm going to briefly go through the next uh, one, two, 
three of these, and then we're going to spend some more time uh, on the last one. Uh, so, blessed are, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm just going to read a quick thing that he said about that. Let us be merciful in our mental judgments of our brother, for in truth we are all one. And the more deeply he seems to, to err, the more urgent is the need for us to help him with the right thought. And so make it easier for him to get, get free. Seems to be saying really that we need to be merciful both towards ourselves uh, and towards others. And then uh, we'll find that mercy out in the world that we're, that we're uh, seeking for ourselves. Um, as within, so without again. So there's that law of cause and effect yes. uh, in, in, in there. Uh, bless, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, so in this one, he quickly goes into the idea of how we can't really see God physically because God is infinite and eternal and has no corporeal form. Um, so it's not really a question of seeing him in the ordinary physical sense, but it's more of experiencing him. It's a spiritual perception. So he talks about the pureness of heart, being a oneness to the presence of God um, and having that single singleness of eye that Jesus speaks of. Unity, I would call that a unity consciousness. So blessed are they who are, you know, in unity consciousness, for they shall uh, have a spiritual perception of God is essentially what this one is, is saying. Um, and he just really kind of goes, he goes deeply into that, which again, I would encourage uh, the listener to read that section, which starts on page 36. So, and it relates uh, to an earlier podcast we did about yeah, the Manly Hall. Point book on the well, duties between, of yeah, the, the head, heart. the head and the heart. Yes. That's right. Duties of the heart. Yeah. Cause he, he does go briefly into the, uh, the difference between heart knowledge and head knowledge and Manly Hall. I talked about that in, in duties of the heart. And that's one of the podcasts you can go back and listen to, if you want to get a little more understanding of this particular, um, beatitude. All right. So the next one is blessed are the peacemakers or they shall be called the children of God. Uh, and he really speaks about, prayer in this one um, and peacefulness within. He, he says essentially that peace is a necessary uh, prerequisite to proper prayer. So you have to have a peaceful mind, a clear mind uh, before you go into prayer and before you can create that state of faith. Uh, one good way to do that, of course, is through meditation. To create peace in your life is, would be to meditate before you pray. That's very helpful. I do that. That's like the empty um, cup you were referring earlier, yeah, that you're clearing yeah. out the space, sacred space. Exactly. Within. Exactly. Uh, the great essential for success in prayer for obtaining that sense of the presence of God, which is the secret of healing oneself and others too, of obtaining inspiration, which is the breath of the soul, of acquiring spiritual development, is that we first attain some degree of true peace of mind. So he's talking about that inner quality of peace. Uh, and that being called children of God, he likens that to having that presence of God and that divine, divine uh, spirit uh, constantly uh, within, you know, within the mind. Uh, so keep, he keeps he keeps bringing that that back up. All right. So moving on to the last one, uh, we'll talk about this one for a bit and then we'll wrap things up. This is the long one. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you uh, and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So he goes to great length about talking about how it's not really about persecution. We're not trying to be martyrs here. We're not trying to. Uh, we're not trying to talk about you know, being some self-righteous person that needs to be martyred by the, the crowds of infidels or something, but more about the inner quality, the inner quality of, of righteousness and, persecu and persecution within. So he speaks about how uh, the source of all persecution is none other than our own selves. And again, this comes back to our thinking, our feeling, our beliefs. So we believe in a sense of persecution. We believe that you know, people are out to get us. We believe that our lives are, are horrible and everyone, you know, wants to do evil against us. And then those circumstances are, are, are projected out into the world and we attract those things. The law of attraction, right? This stuff, you know, more than some new age, you know, 
platitude or woo-woo thinking. I mean, it's real. We all know, we all know and all have experienced times when we're negative or aggressive or angry and we receive back those same experiences even though we don't say anything or do anything we're out on the road and we're driving you know and in an angry state and suddenly we're cut off or someone gives us a finger or something weird out of the ordinary happens and we wonder why is this happening and then we think well my own state of mind right now is attracting this it's happened it happens uh, a million times. And then we, you know, we think it's just coincidence, but it, I, you know, I, I do not believe that it is coincidence. Um, the other thing he talks about, and this we're going to get into a bit, every spiritual treatment or scientific prayer, which is the thought and the affirmation and the visualization involves a tussle with our own lower self, which wishes to indulge the old habit of thought and in fact persecutes and reviles us. So we were talking about this earlier. Can you speak a little bit about that in terms of maybe some of the things you've faced and um, how, you know, maybe when you're doing the right thing, the right, the righteous thing <laughs> in your own life, you're per- persecuted by something within? Well, sure. The, uh, well, I'll just make a quick mention on the, the world without. If, um, if you ever want to upset your friends and have them persecute you, um, if you have drinking buddies, quit drinking. Um, they're not going to, they're not going to enjoy <laughs> you. Um, yeah. you know, it's, or call. And then you quit smoking and then your friend just think, Oh my gosh, you're just all righteous. Aren't you? And you sure. know, cause it calls out their quote unquote bad behavior. Um, and, and a lot of times people don't want to see you succeed. Misery loves company. If that's the state you've been in, if you've been weak, codependent, uh, people pleaser, and you have this, set of people you're connected with that are supporting this idea. And then you say, wait a minute, no, I'm going to stand on my own. I'm going to stick up for myself. I'm going to get some boundaries. Not only are they going to be upset (laughs) with that because you've changed what they've become so dependent on, they're actually going to fight back. Um, Yeah. It's all on the unconscious level, but it comes out in the real world. And well, and that, you know, that's, that's, it's interesting. And that's the external. What about, uh, what about the internal, uh, you know, sort and, of. And the internal is the same thing. Blowback. Um, yeah. Because especially if you feel, you know, there's a, a vestige of you. So sometimes when you make these, these changes, they're not really whole and complete uh, right away. You're, you're moving yeah. the needle. You're shifting. Well, okay, I'm a little bit less codependent. I'm a little more independent now or more uh, self-assured. Uh, there's still some doubt lingering. And when you have a foot in both worlds, that's when it gets actually sometimes the most difficult because you're, you're making this shift towards improving, moving from a lower state of thinking and believing to a higher state. Uh, but for those lower thoughts to survive, they need your energy. And even and especially if this is happening within us, because uh, as stated, it's, it's more difficult to conquer oneself than to conquer a nation. Uh, this is why, because they're so near and close to us, they're within us. We think it's us. It's just aspects of us. And if we want to look at ourselves with a capital S to rise above the smaller case S, um, there's part of that that still wants to survive. And it's like, well, what about me? So the what higher, about me? The higher, the higher versus the lower you're speaking of, the higher self versus the lower self. Right? Yes. And if you've yeah. been in the lower state, which we all have been, Sure. Um, and moving front, that's also comfort. It's what's known. So when you're moving into the unknown, even if it's so much better, you believe it to be better. Uh, some sure. of these old habits you know, do die hard and yeah. we become insecure and can kind of run back to them. So, and, and if you have that going on inside you, most likely that will show up in your outside world because you're projecting that on other people. Or like you said, you're attracting that because you're feeling that. And for some reason, it's when you really do try to make a, an affirmative, you know, change from this lower to the higher. That's, it seems like that's when they get these energies of the lower part. They seem to get really nasty and want to do everything they can to pull you back. Uh, so this is a time to be extra strong and double down on your efforts to move from the lower to the higher. Great point. Great point. And, you know, it, it's oftentimes... Oftentimes that resistance from within comes when we are actually doing the right thing, Definitely. the righteous thing. And that's where, that's what I think he's getting at in the, the internal portion. I mean, you're right. It, it also can play itself out in the external world with, 
you know, with people around us, with quote unquote haters on the in, on the internet, when you're starting to let's say put your music up there, or maybe put up some comedy videos or something you've always wanted to do, and you start getting, you know, negative comments from different people, you know, and it's it doesn't say anything about you, it doesn't say anything about your work, it says something about them and their need to criticize, and oftentimes they're only acting out of their own frustrations with their own life and lashing out because you're free to express yourself and there's a jealousy there. Right. So it's important to remember, remember some of those things uh, when we're approaching these things. So I'm just going to kind of sum this up by again, reading uh, a little, a little something from him. Uh, this is in the uh, blessed are they, uh, which do not hunger or which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled section. As we study, the Sermon on the Mount, we shall find every clause in it reiterating the great truth, and I'm reiterating this because I already said this once, reiterating the great truth that outside things are but the expression expressed or pressed out or outpicturing of our inner thoughts and beliefs that we have dominion or power over our thoughts to think as we will, and thus indirectly we make or mar our own lives by the way in which we do think. So guard your thoughts, guard your thoughts, consciously try to connect to God as much as you can throughout the day, like we spoke about in our, our golden key, uh, also in Emmett Fox uh, book, we spoke about the golden key and the golden key really is the same sort of idea. It's to just to focus your thoughts on God and God's infinite power, God as the cause, uh, instead of focusing on the problems. This is another way of looking at these things. So you know, I highly encourage you all to read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the key to success in life by Mr. Emmett Fox. And we thank you for listening today. I again am your host, uh, Jason Napolitano. And I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate available on Amazon.com or CosmicEye.org. And as usual, I have my co host Chris Sheridan, uh, author of The Spirit in the Sky. And that can be found at ChrisSheridan.com or on Amazon as well. Thank you again, Chris, for, uh, for your insights. Thank you for having appreciate me. appreciate you being here. Sure. And uh, everybody have a great week. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for listening again. Have a great week, and God bless.